0: Please turn to 1 John in your Bibles this morning. We started this series last week and uh, looked at the first four verses. So today I'll read verses 5 through 10. This is a great letter that speaks to the season we're in. The Incarnation, the Incarnate Christ is what I'm titling uh, this, uh, this series. And it's mainly because there was a group of people who questioned whether or not Jesus actually came in the flesh and that's what this letter is all about. It's, uh, it's addressing that big problem of that day, that Jesus did indeed come in the flesh. He, he did, uh, the incarnation did indeed happen. So think about that as I read these words, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, my friends, Knoxville is changing. And I say that because we all know that the population uh, is changing dramatically. We've experienced a population spike with dramatic growth in our community. And with the population uh, spike that we have seen, we've also noticed that there are people from different nations that have come, and people from all over the country that have come that may uh, have different worldviews than we have. And the last two weeks, my eyes have been opened uh, dramatically because of some of the interactions I've had with people and some of the conversations I've had. Let me give you a couple examples. So two weeks ago, the principal at Farragut High School, a good friend of mine, strong believer in Christ, John Bartlett, he invited me along with several other uh, community leaders of Farragut, and he invited us to just take a tour of the high school. And it was a great day. I was very impressed with the students and the faculty there at Farragut. But it was interesting, right when I got there, I noticed in the main lobby area, there are flags flying all over the place, and there's over 40 flags there in the main foyer and Bartlett told us that day he said these flags represent all of the nations that our students are from over 40 I thought that's interesting well all four of my kids they they go to the local Farragut schools and they are telling me some of their classmates names and where their classmates are from and they're saying oh they're from India or uh, from um, Switzerland, I think was one. And and as I'm talking to my, my kids, I'm also asking them, okay, what, what do your friends like to do? And they tell they tell me their hobbies. And and they also will tell me, well, my friend or this classmate is from India and and she's Hindu, or this friend is Mormon. And I thought that's interesting. Um, this week I was watching my son playing basketball at his practice, and I'm just talking to some of the parents and. And one of the parents, she said, oh, my son is so-and-so, and he goes to the local Islamic school because we attend the mosque right down the road. And we were talking about her Muslim faith. And this week as I was writing this message, I couldn't help but hear this loud banging all week. And I open up my blinds from my window as I stare out to our neighbors over here. And I noticed bulldozers and excavators just plowing through the trees and knocking them down and clearing out the land, getting ready to build a Mormon temple right next to us. So we're going to have Mormon neighbors in the next two years. We met some of the leaders this week. Some of our leaders met them this week. I bring this up because Knoxville's changing and there's a lot of change happening and a lot of different worldviews are coming in and not just a different worldviews about God, But I've also had some interactions these past few weeks with people who have a different thought about sin and about morality. Last weekend I wasn't here because I was doing my military duty uh, at the military base and had some great conversations with a lot of people. And uh, one of those uh, people uh, was was a, a woman who was married to a woman and she was telling me about her lifestyle. I've also done uh, many different counseling sessions the last year from people outside of these walls who uh, will justify pornography as okay or living with their loved one before they're married. Uh, I bring these examples up because this is what's going on. We can be naive to it or we can accept the fact that Knoxville's changing and the world is coming to us in a rapid pace. And so we need to be prepared to have conversations with people outside of our Christian circles. We need to be able to talk to them in a winsome and loving way about the truth. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about who Jesus is and also about what sin is. And that is why I wanted to preach through this great letter, First John. Because John he hones in on these two points time and time and time again. He talks about who Jesus is, and he talks about who we are and how we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. But as I, as I think about what's happened to me in the last two weeks and my eyes have been opened, and yours should be opening too, it also reminded me that there's nothing new under the sun, that this has been going on for a long, long time. Not necessarily in Knoxville per se. We have seen this happen in Knoxville. But it's been going on throughout history. And in John's day, it was happening. It was happening at a rapid pace. There was a group of false teachers that were were infiltrating the church of Ephesus. And they had come in and they started to begin the religion of Gnosticism. This is where we begin to see Gnosticism at his early stages. And Gnostics, they taught that Jesus didn't actually come in human flesh, but he appeared like a phantom or a ghost. And they taught that because they believed that all physical matter, all of your body is sinful, but all of your spirit is good. And so they said Jesus could not have possibly, if he is God, he could not have possibly come to this earth because he assumed a human flesh, a human body. So he would have been evil. He would have been bad. So that's why he, didn't, he never came in human flesh. But the problem was is that because these Gnostics, they held to that view, uh, they, they, they did two things. They either said, okay, because your, your body is sinful, you've got to deny it. You've got to beat it up. It's, it's what we call asceticism. You've got to beat your body up because it's sinful. You've got to get that rid of that sin on, on your own body. And so they would literally mutilate their flesh. They would hurt themselves. But even worse, they would say, there was a group of Gnostics that would say, Well, you know, whatever you do in the the physical body, it doesn't matter at all. Because all what matters is what you know, gnosis, gnostic, gnosis, knowledge. All that matters is what you know and what you think and believe about the spiritual things. And as long as you think right, and as long as you believe in the right things, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be you and do you. Let the chips fall where they may. And so there was a lot of immorality happening in the days of John. And so, as we look at these verses, John addresses those two problems the problem of they had an improper view of Jesus, they also had an improper view of sin. And so, the first thing he mentioned here was striking at the vitals or or the issue of Gnosticism. He said, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus actually came in the flesh. And last week, Jim talked about this in verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I want to remind you that John was one of Jesus's three closest friends. John was one of the three that was with Jesus a lot. He even called himself the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he referred himself. He said, oh, Jesus loved me. I was one of Jesus' closest associates. I was one of his closest disciples. I was with him through thick and thin. And, And as he was saying this and writing this letter, he was reminding them that I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I heard him speak. I even touched him. There's a reference in in Luke where at the Last Supper that John was next to Jesus at the Last Last Supper. So he could have very well been shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, literally touching Jesus in the flesh. So John's making a point here in 1 John, my friends, don't buy into the lie that from Gnostics that Jesus never appeared or never came in flesh. Like he was here. I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. And he goes on in verse 2, the life was made manifest, we've seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's saying the Word became flesh. God dwelt among us. He manifested himself here. He was here. So Jesus was actually here on this earth. This reminds me of John's Gospel Remember the Gospel of John? And this is one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible, John 1, one: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. Without him, not anything made was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father full of grace and truth. What John is getting at here is he's telling his believers in Ephesus don't buy into the lie that Jesus never came because he was here I saw him and he was from the beginning Jesus is God that's who he is and he came you know as I think about Christmas I think about hymns and you're gonna hear a lot of them tonight but hark the herald angels sing what's that famous line veiled in flesh the Godhead see like we saw Jesus in flesh Hail the incarnate deity, we we saw him in flesh. People saw him, they were eyewitnesses, they were there. But as I think about the culture we're in, I think about how so many people don't view Jesus this way. There are many people who would say Jesus was just an ordinary person, the Jews would say that. There are people that would say Jesus was a good prophet. There were people that would say Jesus was a God of many gods, But I'm telling you, my friends, Jesus is the dividing point that differentiates Christianity from all other religions. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And he came in flesh. Charles Wesley, when he wrote Hark the Herald, he didn't say, veiled in flesh, the Godhead hidden. He said, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. You see him. But so many religions, they would say, well, Jesus is not the Jesus who, what the Bible teaches. He's someone different. You know, I think about a lot of Eastern religions and how they would say Jesus is not really personal. Like he's above us, but he's not really among us. And, and they, they will say things like fate or chance or karma. You know, um, one of Taylor Swift's most popular songs right now, and you can tell I have a lot of girls, is karma. She sings about karma. And I had to, I had to um, disciple my fourth grader and tell her what karma meant. I said, no, 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 we don't want to sing this song. Because karma's talking about an impersonal force. Like God is a, a personal being, not an impersonal karma that's out there. But yet, Taylor Swift not only sings it now but we sing it every Christmas. This, is, this whole idea of karma and chance and fate has been around a whole long, long time. Uh, think about Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, one of the classic songs that we all sing and know. We could probably sing it in our sleep. One of the lines, do you know what it says? Someday soon we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then we'll have to meddle through somehow. Until then, we'll have to meddle through. I'll tell you how to meddle through. It's Jesus. It's not fate. If the fates allow, we'll get together. No. No, it's Jesus who brings us together. It's not just chance or karma or ying or yang. And that's what's being taught in many, many circles out there. My friends, Jesus, he dwelt among us. He is among us now in his spirit He's not just above us, he is with us. So we can have a lot of hope in that. That's who Jesus is. Not only did John talk about who Jesus is, he was with God in the beginning, he's with us, but he also talked about the message that Jesus gave. Verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know, God is light. Light means a lot of different things. But in this context, it means morally pure and upright. It means righteous. So what this is saying is that there is no darkness in God at all, that he is undefiled. There's no spot, there's no wrinkle, there's no blemish, there's no sin in God. He is light, he is perfect. And again, these words in verse five of chapter one of 1 John remind us of John's gospel of chapter one. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John eight twelve. Jesus also referred to himself as the light. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So the correct view of who Jesus is is that he is the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness at all. And because he's the light, he gives us light, so we are to walk in the light. For us to think even more correctly about Jesus, though, we have to think correctly about sin. And so I'm going to preach this morning, and we're going to preach about sin. When it came to sin, the Gnostics, they made three incorrect statements. The first incorrect statement they made about sin was, They lied to others saying that they were believers in Christ, but they actually weren't. That was the first mistake they made. The second statement or lie they made was that they lied to themselves saying that they could reach perfection in this life, but of course they can't. And the third statement or claim they made is that they lied about God, making him out to be a liar, saying that... They were always perfect and that they had never sinned. There was a group of Gnostics that actually said, I've never sinned before in my entire life. And so what were they doing? They were lying about God because God tells us that we're all sinners. So let's look at these three things. And by the way, these three things are... are, Easily seen in verses 6 through 10 when John wrote, if we say, if we say, if we say. So take note of if we say, and you'll see the three things I'm talking about. Verse 6, the first if we say. This is what the Gnostics were saying in the days of John. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Light and darkness cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive. Walking in darkness, what John's writing about, it implies a step-by-step evil lifestyle. And it's not just a lifestyle, okay? I want everybody to understand this. This is not just talking about what we do or don't do. This is talking about who you are. This is talking about your nature. Because darkness doesn't just mean how you conduct your life. It actually means, too, what you're thinking and who you are in your inner core being. So the Gnostics... They were dark people because they were sinners like you and me. But they had not yet been changed by the Holy Spirit. They thought they had. They thought they had experienced this spiritual knowledge that other people didn't get. And so they said, we've arrived, but yet they didn't arrive. They were fooling themselves. They were talking a big game, but yet their life, they weren't living it. They weren't reflecting what they were saying. They weren't practicing what they were preaching And here's something I want to say about these kind of people. If someone lives contrary to the word of God on a regular basis, I'm not talking about you and me who are sinners, who are Christians. I'm talking about if someone lives contrary to the word of God on a regular basis, there's good reason to question the genuineness of his or her faith. In other words, if you don't see any fruit, like any at all, fruit of the Spirit, those people probably aren't believers. Now, again, only God ultimately knows who's a Christian and who's not. But you really can know somebody's faith by their fruit. And the Gnostics, they just were ignoring God's laws. They were living the way they wanted to live. And because they were living the way they were wanting to live, they ended up bumping into problems. You know, um, our bed in our bedroom I am on the opposite side of the bathroom. So I'm on the furthest side of the bed to the bathroom. And so I'm the one who usually gets up late at night. Whether I have to use the bathroom, full disclosure, or I just can't sleep. You know, there's times where I'll get up and I'll go read or I'll go pray or I'll do whatever I need to do in the night to try to get back to bed. But I'll wake up and and I very rarely get a flashlight. And you would think after time, I would learn to get a flashlight. But very rarely do I do. And so sometimes I'll forget that we left a box in the middle of the floor, or I'll forget that we left that, that, uh, that, that clothes basket there in the floor, or I'll even, in the middle of the night, you're not thinking, I'll forget there's a corner of the bed. And what happens? I run into it. Then I wake Stephanie up. Sometimes I wake the kids up, and I'm hurting in pain. That has happened a number of times. When you walk in darkness, you will bump into things. And that's what was happening here to the Gnostics. And John was ultimately concerned for the people of God that they would buy into these false teachings that were seeping into their Christian circles. So what does it look like to have true fellowship with God? Because the Gnostics thought they had true fellowship, but having true fellowship means that you kind of share the same interest with people. It means that you're kind of trying to, to live in, in, in the same way towards, towards Christ. So what does it look like to have true fellowship with God and with others? Verse seven tells us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So what John is saying here is, okay, don't worry about the Gnostics. Be reminded that Jesus has changed your life. The light is now in you. So go walk in light, and as you walk in light, you'll experience true fellowship with one another. You know what I love about the church is we're a family, and we're in this thing together. And so as we go out into the world and we interact with people of different faiths, we can come back on Sunday morning and be refueled and recharged because we are around like-minded believers who love Jesus. There's nothing like the church when it functions healthy and well. And how do we function healthy and well? Well, we admit our sins and we confess. And that's where we're gonna get really the last part of this. But before we look at that, how do we become Christians? It's it's Jesus who cleanses us. Now, notice the word cleanses in verse seven. It's active. It's not just he's cleansed us once, like he's continuing to clean us because we continue to sin even after he's cleaned us. Now, I want you to think about a young boy and his mom This is right before church. And the mom says, son, get ready for church. And she says, don't go outside because it rained all last night and I don't want you to get all muddy. What does the son do? He puts on his Sunday best and he goes outside. And he plays in the puddles and he gets filthy. He comes back inside and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, my mom's not gonna be happy. And she's not happy, she's livid but he's really broken by it. And he says, mom, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, I should've listened to you, I'm sorry. Now we're gonna be late to church, I'm sorry. The mom, yes, there's consequences to it, and she told him the consequences, but she also said, you're forgiven. Now what if the mom just said, you're forgiven, let's go to church, and he's filthy? That wouldn't really be good, right? He'd make the church filthy, You know, <laughs> it just wouldn't be good. So what does the mom do instead? you're forgiven, now I'm gonna clean you up. Mom gives him another new set of clothes, make sure he's clean, they get to church. That's what God does with us. He tells us, don't do these things, we're like, oh, I'm gonna go test the limits, I'm gonna go do. We go do, and then we realize, oh, that was foolish. Sorry, Lord, you're forgiven, I'm gonna clean you. That's what verse seven is talking about. He cleanses us, right? He's cleaning us from all of our sin. What an incredible, incredible thing to think about. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So the first thing is that the Gnostics were saying, you know what? They were just basically saying, they were believers, but they weren't. So how do you become a believer? God changes you through Jesus Christ. But the second lie they said is if we say, verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Once again, these Gnostics were spiritually lost. They weren't believers. The truth wasn't in them because they were even making the claim, hey, you can actually be perfect on this side of heaven. You know, I don't mean to pick on our neighbors, but this week I was learning more about Mormonism. And by the way, this summer, we're gonna have Chris Pfeiffer uh, teach a class to prepare us for our neighbors. It's going to take two years for them to build this temple, but we want to be prepared. So this summer, be ready to take that class. But I was looking at Mormonism this week just to kind of learn a little bit about them, and I, I know a little bit about them. One of their false statements is is that you can actually reach perfection on this side of heaven. And they go to they go to to, to Matthew chapter five, verse forty eight, when Jesus said, "Be be perfect as." Our heavenly, my heavenly father is perfect. You know, but the problem is, is that they take that one verse and they say, oh, that means we gotta be perfect. We can be perfect. The problem though is that you need to go back to the whole context of Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. And you'll see Jesus is not talking about moral perfection like we can attain perfection on this side of heaven. He's talking about being merciful to others. He's talking about showing mercy to others, to love your enemies as yourself, to care for the poor and needy. That's the context But yet, what our neighbors are doing is they're saying, oh, it's one verse, let's just take it out of context, and now you can be perfect, and you can become your own God. That's what they believe. Like, when we die, we can become gods of our own planets. That's what they're teaching over there. So I'm saying, my friends, we've got to know what's going on outside of these walls so we can properly defend our faith. So just as the Gnostics were saying, you can reach perfection, it's being taught in our community right now. So what do we know about sin? And what do we do when we do sin? Because we will sin. The Bible tells us over and over and over, even though you're saved, you're gonna still wrestle with sin. Verse nine, it's one of the best passages in all the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what the word confess here means? Homologia in Greek, it means to say the same thing. So what John is getting at here is if we confess our sins, if we say the same thing that God is saying, and what is God saying? God says we're all sinners in need of a savior. That's what he says. So if we say the same thing that God says, if we confess our sins and take ownership of our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But here's the problem with sin is let's be honest, and I struggle with this. It's hard to admit when we sin. It's especially hard to admit when we sin with those that we're closest to. There have been times when my wife, you know, I I sin, and she'll call me on it. And you know what I do? I'll say, yeah, but, but you did this. Oh, Stephanie, you're not perfect either. You know what you did the other day? And I'd start listing out this record of wrongs that I've had for the last two weeks things that she's done to me to harm me. I don't take ownership. That's not good. But it's so easy to just say, oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not that bad. I'm not a sinner. But yet, John tells us to confess because when we do, there's so much freedom. There have been times where I'll notice with Stephanie when I'll say, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. And she'll start kind of coming closer to me like, oh, wow. Thank you for humbling yourself a little bit. Thank you for for being honest and admitting that you you did indeed wrong me. That's what confession does. It can bring people together when you confess and when you take ownership. But yet our society, we're just kind of putting sin aside and we're saying, oh, no, 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 let's Let's justify our sins. Or no, it wasn't that bad. You notice even the, the things we say. Like you no longer have people committing adultery. They're having an affair. It's kind of softening the term. Uh, you no longer have executives that steal. They commit fraud. You know the word I hear over and over and over again, even in Christian circles, is broken. Oh, I'm just broken? There's brokenness. Not that, that's true. But let's go back to fallen, sinful, corrupt, depraved, not Broken. We're not a toy that's been broken. We're dead. But yet we tend to just kind of give sin a less offensive name. Sin does not lose its sinfulness by giving it a less offensive name. And I want you to remember this. A skunk by another name still stinks. A skunk by another name still stinks. We can call sin whatever we want to call it, it still stinks. So, what do we do with the stink? Well, we need to be honest about it. We need to take ownership, we need to claim it. And I like what Swindoll said intimacy is rooted in honesty. Intimacy is rooted in honesty. It's when you're honest about your sin is when you'll begin to experience true fellowship with God and with others. When you privately sin, confess it privately to God. When you publicly sin, confess it publicly to those that you sinned against. And even the private sins, you may wanna find a fellow brother if you're a man or a fellow woman if you're a female to share your sins with so they can help you and hold you accountable. But again, Intimacy is rooted in honesty. And so if we confess our sins, if we're honest and open about our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So again, be reminded that we can never reach perfection. We will continue to sin. But what do we do with sin? We gotta be open about it. The third misconception or incorrect statement that the Gnostics made was verse 10. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. They were actually a group of Gnostics that said, I've never sinned before. I've always been perfect. Look at me. But yet John was saying, you're fooling yourselves because you're making God out to be a liar because God says time and time and time again that we're all sinners. Let me just remind us of where God says these things. Psalm 14, three, they have all turned aside. Together they have become, become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. Psalm 51, five, David said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Even at conception we were sinners. Ecclesiastes seven, verse 20, surely there is not a righteous man who does good and never sins. Romans three ten, no one is righteous. No, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, Christmas, there's a lot of hope, there's a lot of good news, but there's a lot of bad to Christmas. What do I mean by that? I like what Ted Tripp said. Sin is the bad news of the Christmas story. Jesus didn't come to earth to do a preaching tour or hang out with us for a while. He came on a radical mission of moral rescue. He came to rescue us because he knew we couldn't rescue ourselves. So yeah, Christmas provides a lot of good news, but it also provides a lot of bad news. As Cole said earlier, this world is a dark place filled with dark people, sinful people, depraved, corrupt people. And in order for us to have the light in us, God has to do it. He's got to change us. And we've got to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we don't have it all together and we desperately need him. And we have to admit when we sin. The incarnation, it tells you who God is, that He's perfect and holy. It also tells you who you are, that you're sinful and unable to escape your sin. And if you believe in both, you'll find hope. Christmas brings a lot of hope. It can bring a lot of hope. But I've noticed throughout my life, I love Christmas. I love it. I love the lights. I love the music. I love the eggnog at times in small doses. I don't drink a bunch of eggnog, but I do some. I just love Christmas. It's just a neat time of year. But I also am always disappointed on December twenty-sixth and the first week of January. You know why? Because there's no more Christmas. We used to have a real Christmas tree. We would go out and we would chop one and find it and then we would bring it in and decorate. And our kids used to love the smell of the sap and you know, you know that smell of the Christmas tree. It's just, ah, it's a good smell. I would always get depressed because I would take that real tree, and I would take it down my driveway, and you see all these pine needles kind of just make a mess on the driveway, and then you'd lay it next to the trash, and it's dried up, and it's dead, and then here comes the, uh, the guy to, to take the trash away, putting up the lights, putting it back in boxes, breaking ornaments, you know, all these things, it, it's just hard. You, you, you build up this great anticipation and hope of Christmas, and then it's over, You know, the problem that I've experienced with myself with Christmas is I'm putting too much trust in the horizontal and the things of this earth that don't last. My hope is in the wrong things. What John is reminding us to put our hope in is not in decorations or the Christmas festivities or even your own family and friends, but put your hope in Christ. The hopes and fears of all the years are met In Him tonight, as we close this service, we're going to sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And there's a verse I ask Cole for us to sing today. And that is, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. How does God impart to human hearts this indescribable gift of grace? Well, he does it because he chooses to. And as he wakes us up, we respond in meekness and humility. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. If you're here today and you are hopeless And you're looking for answers. Jesus is the answer. Don't leave here today without putting your faith and trust in him. And the way you do that is you just admit you're a sinner. And it's okay. We all sin. Admit where you wronged Jesus. Believe that he came to this earth and that he died to forgive you of your sins. And then commit your life to following him. And if you do that, you will then find true hope, true peace, and true joy that is unspeakable. If you have questions about this Jesus, come see me after. I'd love to tell you more about him. Let's pray.